Welcome to Paradox Jukebox, an unconventional podcast for the unconventional music lover, brought to you by Music on the Move Studios, a woman-led company working to help musicians move their careers forward through education and live events. I am your host, Katie Thompson, and I'm very glad to have you with me today because today's interview is super cool. And I would be remiss if I said that I didn't fangirl just a wee bit because as a podcaster and somebody who is trying to break into radio media, I was kind of in awe of our guest and even more so in awe when we were invited to his home to share in some lovely amuse-bouche with he and his wife, Dee Dee. So today's guest is Skip Mahaffey. And if you don't know who Skip is, let me just give you a little tidbit here. He is nationally known as one of America's top country radio air personalities. His Country Music Association and Billboard Magazine award-winning Skip Mahaffey Morning Show was a staple of country radio for decades. And Aaron, our co-founder... <laughs> actually has known Skip for quite a long time. They have a very close relationship. She calls Skip and Dee Dee mom and dad. They're pretty much her second parents. So Aaron decided like, hey, we should absolutely see if Skip can come on the show. And I'm like, well, yeah, absolutely. And then he said yes. And then, you know, that was my reaction. So luckily, because Aaron is way cooler than I am and she has a relationship with Skip, uh, she actually kind of spearheads this interview. So I'm there and I'm, you know, kind of just manning the camera and making sure all the audio stuff works and whatnot. But I am really excited for all of you to just listen to some of Skip's stories because he has got some of the most incredible celebrity stories that you've ever heard. And He's also an incredibly inspiring person to just listen to. So I'm just going to go right into this interview. No music take, nothing. Ladies and gentlemen, Skip Mahaffey. Hello and good morning, America. Hello. My name is Aaron McClendon Phillips. Mm -hmm. This is not my dad, but I call him dad. His yep. name is Skip Mahaffey. And Hello. over there. Hi, Katie Thompson here. Hey, Katie, we love Katie. She's normally the podcast host of this, but I am taking over. Yes. Because this is not my dad, but I call him dad. Yeah. And here's why. Why? You and I have known each other for years. Yes. I, I don't know how many. It's, it's almost 10. Yep. Almost 10 years. And we've been good friends. And one day at the job I met you at. Yes. Uh, you just decided to sit down at my desk and talk at me for like two hours. Two hours. It was glorious. Wonderful. Hilarious. Um, but after that, we just kept hanging out every time you came into town. Mm -hmm. And so... One day, mom was here, not my mom, mom was here, and you said, we're going out, mom and dad are taking you out to dinner. I was like, okay, and you said, you know what, when we're in town and your parents aren't here, we're your parents. I said, great, so let me introduce Skip Mahaffey. Yay, hello, how are you? This is Katie. Hi. Katie's Hi. usually podcasting, but she's running the camera, so yes. she has to make sure that I don't look tremendously fat. <laughs> Skip. The magic is of editing. Yay. Skip is a radio host. Mm -hmm. He is a podcaster. He has been an announcer. He, you've been a voiceover actor. Yep. Um, you have ACMs. Plural. CMAs. CMAs. You have CMAs. Three. You have a Billboard Radio Award. Yep. Um, you have a book. I wrote a book. You wrote In the a process book. of writing another one. Oh, good. Mm -hmm. It's hilarious. Um, 
And at some point, we're going to talk about how he got stuck in Tokyo at the age of eight. So, oh, it's in the book. Buy it. it Amazon.com, Adventures with My Father. Please. Yes. I have a retirement to pay for. I'm so excited, and I will be buying this book immediately. Please, pay full price. Okay. <laughs> so, Skip. Ma'am. Why don't you tell us about yourself more? <sighs> I'm a left-handed Baptist who likes long walks on the beach. <laughs> Can I just tell you how much I love you so much right now? <laughs> okay, well, um, um, no, my, I, I, uh, I grew up in Huntington Beach, California, and um, I, I always, uh, someone told me at an early age, you really need to be a performer, and I, I, I took it to heart. I studied theater. I studied political science. Um, I, I bet uh, I was dating this girl who uh, heard a commercial for the Los Angeles Broadcasters who bet me fried chicken that I wouldn't go audition for this, uh, this school, and uh, not one to turn down free food. I went and auditioned for this school. I was given a scholarship, a half scholarship, and I wound up going to this broadcasting school, which was probably the second smartest thing I ever did. And the smartest thing I ever did is I married her 40 years ago. Yeah, we love mom. Yay, mom. Slash Didi. But it's you know radio, uh, radio is a nomadic, uh, a nomadic gig. I mean, you you it's like it's like you're a traveling uh, artist. You you go from point to point. You go from gig to gig, looking for the next big thing and the next thing that's going to move you up in your career. People will tell you like you know, marry a market, stay there, do your best, grow and grow and grow. But that takes forty five years. But no, it's just you know my my mom once said if you could figure out a way to sit on your ass and get paid to talk. Uh, you'd figure it out and be dipped if she wasn't right. <laughs> Yay, mom. Yay for moms that know their sons. Yeah. Yeah, yeah she pretty much did. How about you? Um, How long have you been doing radio? Um, literally yeah. a year. year? Yep. You we, like it? I love it. I absolutely love this podcast, and I love it when Aaron comes on because mm-hmm. we do nothing but laugh. It's have you, true. Have you discovered that this is nothing but a magnet for the insecure? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is what we do. Yes. Yes. What was the question? Did I answer it? Yeah, I think so. Okay. It was just like, tell us more about yourself, and oh. you did, and we're going to learn even more about you. So am I allowed to say what you're currently doing? Yeah. All right. You are the current morning show host for K-Love, right. the Christian radio right. station across America Right. 560-something stations, 18 million listeners. Yeah. Wow. Crazy. Yeah. Wanna, uh, yes. That's our cat who's oh, getting ready to walk in the game. Okay. That's Scout. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, it's it's uh, it's incredible. It, it, I, I don't want to get go off too far on this one unless it's where you want to go. But what's fascinating is, you know, our, our backgrounds being in country music is there's a very small difference between the Christian audience and the country audience. It's just you're not going to sing about trucks and beer. That's true. Mm-hmm. You're allowed to profess your faith in country music. Yes. Um, you know, it's not something you, you, you won't see too terribly often. You know, that's that's kind of a, a, a gross um, assumption, generalization on my part. People are allowed to express their faith anywhere, but it's very prevalent inside country. Asterisk. That's for the boss. Yay! Yay. Please keep him in Nashville. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we love having him here. Yay! So when you and I met, you were um, you were in Tampa. Yes. And the reason you and I met was because you were coaching young independent artists mm-hmm. like myself, although I, I don't think you ever officially coached me. You just sat at my desk. 
No, I just said you are my child now, and you're we are going to do this. And yes, you were just. And adopted. here we are. Um, There's a hostile but... takeover of Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you were training young independent artists on how to do radio interviews, yes. which is essentially media training. Right. So why don't you give a little insight as to what that means? Media training, basically, when you, you have an opportunity, uh, I, I love the way that David Letterman used to do this. Look it up in your history books, you'll see him. Uh, Letterman used to say, when you come on my show, this is your time. I'm giving you this amount of time to, to, to do whatever it is that, you know, promote whatever it is you want to do. And in that, you know, 12 to 15 minutes, um, and in radio, it's a much shorter period of time, you need to take that opportunity to have that audience fall in love with you. And so basically what, what my job was, was to teach you a little poise, a little comfort, how to tell your story and do it in a way that's going to be compelling to the potential audience that you're trying to reach, i.e. people who want to, that you want to take in your music and be part of your music and to love you, become fans. Exactly. And I think that's such an important point. And one of the things you hammered home with me was <laughs> mom's fighting the cats over here. It's really funny. <laughs> yeah. Right now, this production is entirely being run Taken by over two cats. By two cats. Who yeah, are there they go. There they go. The snacks and the camera. <laughs> yep. That's right. And it gave me a chance to pick my teeth when you guys were looking at the cats. There we go. <laughs> Except they weren't. Oops. No, one of the interesting points was always, you hammered home authenticity and just be yeah. yourself because people don't want a cookie-cutter human being. Right. One of the things that I run into all the time with artists, and if, if nothing else, learn this. You'd ask an artist, and, and you and I both know people who, I, who I'm talking about. You'd say, tell me about your music. And they'd say, well, I'm kind of a cross between um, uh, Shania Twain and Carrie Underwood. Don't do that. Because if you tell me that, my initial response is going to be, if I want that, I'll go listen to Shania Twain and Carrie Underwood because they're really good at it. What is it about you that makes you unique? What is it about you that makes you you? Distill it, pinpoint it, um, you know, understand, learn the elevator pitch. The elevator pitch is like three sentences. Um, then you know, learn to tell your story. Tell it well. Figure out different ways to tell your story. What is it about you that makes you different and you unique, and why should I care about you? That's a great point. Thank you. Write that down. Write it. it. Write every bit of that down. Yeah. Truly, because Katie and I, we're, we're teachers. Mm -hmm. She uh, teaches all of the instruments, and I teach voice. And a lot of our students are trying to be young singer-songwriters. Right. And when we ask them, like some of them we've helped write bios. Some of them we've helped come up with like pitches and stuff like that. When we've asked them, that's the point that they, or that's what they say. I'm a cross between this, this. It's mm -mm. like, no. Nope. No, I want to know you. I already yep. know these other people. And right. I learned that from you. And I think it's such an important point that people like figure out who they are, and that it's not something you can write down in 30 minutes, you know? <laughs> well, it, one, of the, one of the things that I ran into with, with, with broadcasters is, you know, you'd ask them, you know, what is it you want to do? Invariably, especially if they're a guy under the age of 25, they're going to say, I'm going to do sports radio like no one's ever done sports radio. <laughs> and I'll say, okay, what is that like? Well, we're kind of like Jim Rome, but we're not. We're more edgy. You've just shut me down. I don't care. I don't care. I want to know what you're going to bring to me that I can't find anywhere else. Um, we all, if you are an artist, I think, and I don't know, you guys are artists, I'm not. You want to find your unique voice. You want to find 
again, what is it about you that makes you special? Why should I care about you? I love that. And what, uh, so you, as somebody in radio, mm-hmm. what would you say are the characteristics of somebody who's done that? Wow. What's really funny is it, it's kind of, it's, it's a difficult thing to, to define because it's, it's authentic, authenticity. It's being authentic. It's being who you are and, and being comfortable with who you are. You have a story, um, you know, find out you, you've got to drill down and figure out what it is that's unique and special. And that's, that's not easy. I can sit here and tell you all day what's special about it. Well, you know, for us, it's a very simple question. We ask, you know, do they get it? And, and it's almost impossible to, to define what that means, but anybody who does what we do understands what that question means. Do they understand the nuances and the subtleties of what it takes to excel and to expand? One of the things that I find that, um, and this is one of the greatest quotes ever, and it came um, um, uh, from Trace Atkins. We were talking about new artists, um, and I, I asked him, <clears throat> I, I said that um, time and time again, new artists come to me and they say, what do I need to do to get this done? What do I need to do to make this happen? And he said, country music is a full contact sport. It is not a spectator sport. You have to drop your pom-poms and go get in the game. Meaning I can think of two occasions, two occasions where Nashville went to go find somebody and bring them to Nashville. One was John Michael Montgomery, which was easy because he was just up the freeway in Kentucky. True. The other were the Mavericks and MCA went down to Miami sought out the Mavericks, and signed them on the spot. Those are the only two times I, I've known in my time in country radio that they went and physically went to find that person. Everybody else had to come here. And the other piece of advice that I thought was absolutely brilliant is never, ever, ever forget that the music business is a business. You and I have talked about this a million times. How many times? <laughs> and, and it's tough. When you're an artist... And, and you're getting into a business, it's, it's tough because your heart, your soul, everything about you, everything about your, 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 what makes you an artist is laid out there for people to wipe their feet on every day. Yes. That hurts. A lot. So you got you to get tough. Yeah. You have to treat yourself like a can of soup. I'm up there on there. Here's my label. What, what is on that label has to express exactly what's inside that label. Carry yourself off as that product, as that person. A very, very dear friend of ours, um, when she first started, I'm not going to mention her name because she might be watching or she'll get mad at me if we pick on her. (laughs) Um, She had like, you know, the big Patsy Cline boots and she had the big skirt and the big puffy blouse with the puffy sleeves on it. And she looked like a, a, a waitress at an Omaha uh, Mexican restaurant. And I'm not, I'm not picking on Omaha Mexican restaurants. I'm just saying she looked very cliche and very, very, very artificial. Mm-hmm. That wasn't who she was. Mm-hmm. But the moment that she took it down to, I'm a strong, independent, artistic woman, and this is my music, which is smart and independent, and coming from a strong female point of view, that's when things started taking off for her. Yeah. When you try to fit yourself into a place and a position of who you aren't, 
Country music audiences, any audience, especially country music, they can smell BS a mile away. Yes. Yes. There, here's one of my biggest pet peeves. Hmm. When people come to country music, and they aren't necessarily from the South, but they're from a rural area, sure. area in America. That's hard to say, rural area. I hate that word. <laughs> I, no. I can say onomatopoeia, but I can't say rural. Rural. Driving the cats crazy. <laughs> there are dogs in the house. <laughs> oh, man. But they're from a rural area. Damn it. Yeah, they actually can't say area. Yep. Your donation could help Aaron complete a sentence. <laughs> Please send your money now yeah. to the address listed below. Ah, they're from a country area in America. <laughs> yonder. We call it yonder. <laughs> down yonder. They're from down yonder. Yes, ma'am. And then they come to Nashville. And... They don't necessarily have an accent, but suddenly, as soon as they start singing, oh, there it is. Oh, oh, and it's like, yeah. I am from North Carolina and Georgia, and most of my family, the vast majority of my family is from the South. Mm-hmm. I know what an accent sounds mm-hmm. like. And when I hear a fake one yep. in country music, I immediately hate that person. Yeah. I mean, I get around her mom and dad, and I feel like a total hillbilly. I mean, and it's just like, you, know, you going to come up to the big house this week and see Miss Aaron sing? She's awful pretty. That is not what my parents sound no, like. No, that's what I sound like. Oh. No. <laughs> Go ahead. I, but, I mean, my grandmother sounded like, hey, Aaron. <laughs> it's true. My name had like three syllables. There's four really? letters, but... Yeah, hey. my, 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 my cousin, uh, we were leaving Louisiana a long time ago. He said, y'all come back, man. We're going to play tag. You're going to be idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, Ricky, I don't know that word. Help a brother out. I don't even know how to spell it. Uh, I think it's E-E-Y-U-H-T. Yeah, see, I put the H in there, too. Yeah. You and I put the H in there, too. Okay. It's, it's a, it's a uh, diction thing. Exactly. Thank you, music degree. Your donations could help solve this crisis. <laughs> Send your donations to the address Is listed Caleb below. Is Caleb doing a fundraiser right now? No, that's April. April, please. Oh, 800-525-5683. Thank you. <laughs> no, go ahead. Call now. One, one very fun thing Ma'am. that if I am awake when you're on the air, so let's be real, it's early, and yeah. I'm a musician. I get it. Uh, I'll turn it on, and they'll do like a question. And they'll be like, if you call in and you're caller number five, you're entered to win an iPad. So I'm like, I want an iPad, but I'm not going to call. No. So I just text Skip, and I'm like, here's the answer. I want the iPad. <laughs> that ain't happening. I never get the iPad, guys. It's sad. Guess what? There's another part to that. She ain't going to get it. <laughs> <laughs> but I appreciate the fact that I can text him. And I know, like, mo- like, a lot of time has passed between the time when he recorded that and hit play or, like, whatever. Yeah. How radio works is completely different than I ever thought. It's Tuesday. Thursday shows in the can. Yeah. Parts of it. Like, live radio isn't live. Oh, don't even get me started. It's wild. If we start getting into the relationship of, of, of radio and how it works now, that's an entirely different podcast. But I think, I think what's relevant is, you know, in talking about independent artists, because we have such a passion. All of us have such a passion for independent artists. And, and... One of the one of the, the biggest the the biggest blessings that I've had coming to Nashville is is having Aaron introduce me to so many of you uh, independent artists and the music is so wonderful because it's so earthy and it's so real and it's so unaffected by the business of of music that 
it, it, and it kind of breaks your heart because how do you cut through? How do you get that music from you to uh, coming out of the speakers when you're when you're driving your car? Um, it's kind of a, a, a million dollar question, but I, I, I don't claim to have the answer. But I think there is a few things to consider if you find yourself in this position. Um, I, I think the first thing you have to consider is that product that you're putting out has to compete with everybody else on the radio right now. What is it about your song that makes it worth bumping a new Marin Morris song in order to put your song in. It's got to stand up. It's got to have some legs. It can be a ditty. It can be a great ballad. It could be, it's just got to be good. Good music finds an audience. Um, and sometimes you just got to work that much harder. And what's even just as, as, a, as an asterisk here, and I know both of you know this, <clears throat> independent female artists have to work three times as hard for half the recognition. Uh, big mm-hmm. side for me and Katie, because yeah. it's so true. It's so true. And I like no one told me that until after I already experienced it. Oh, and yeah. I was just looking around going, what is happening? What's happening? And then somebody was like, oh, yeah, here's the – it was when that whole like tomato comment was made. That's when I realized, oh, there actually is this – huge disconnect but also it was when um you remember when my first album came out yes um i got a meeting at a record label Mm -hmm. and i don't know if i've told you this story before katie i feel like i have Mm -hmm. but i had a meeting a one-on-one meeting with a record executive and it was through a family connection because my family is massive um pretty massive it was huge um but we're talking we're sitting there we're talking i got to talk for maybe five minutes and then this man talked at me for an hour Mm -hmm. At me, not to me, at me. And then at the end of it, he goes, yeah, well, we've already signed our one artist for the year, so we're tapped out. That one artist was Kelsey Ballerini. She has gone on to do wonderful things. They did yep. wonderful things for her, but the one, the thing that like blew my mind was it was the one artist. But what about that? And I remember when that happened because Kelsey struggled. It wasn't, it wasn't giddy up out of the gate. I mean, she had to really work hard. And there's a, you, you can do an endless list of artists that really had to work so hard to become an overnight sensation. Marin is one. Uh, Little Big Town. Yeah. Those guys struggled oh for 10 years until it finally hit for them. And I think that you have to, you, you got to get that thick skin. And you've got to, you, you have got to believe in yourself and you have got to believe in the music that you create. And, uh, you know, I, I heard a great quote. I can't remember who told me this originally, but it said, they said that um, you have to write 100 songs minimum until you can consider yourself and call yourself a songwriter. Uh, I don't know about that. Um, any of these people that you know, if you do a one and done, if you show up to a record label, if you get in front of somebody <clears throat> who's a, a manager or whomever going like, I got this really great song that I wrote and I think it's just really fantastic. The one thing they're going to tell you is what else you got. Yeah. Yep. And, it, it, and you better have a plethora. Another great quote I heard a long time ago is, and actually it was, again, as another Trace Atkins. Trace said, you have your entire life to write your first album. Of course, he said a lot deeper and a lot slower. But he said, you have your entire <laughs> life to write your first album. You have six months to write your next one. Yeah. So you have got to have the stuff stacked and racked and ready to go. 
and you got to become you've got to become prolific at writing them. And some of them are going to suck. I mean, they're going to suck well. Yeah, it is a fact. But every time you do that, you're strengthening the muscle. You're getting better at what you do. Study your craft. Treat this like a craft. Understand this is my art. This isn't what I do for a hobby. This is my life. This is my love. This is my art. And, and go after it. How many times have you seen artists who don't take this seriously enough? They're, they're not out there trying to actually learn the craft of songwriting. Yeah. And then Aaron, as a songwriter, how frustrating can it be when you go into a write with somebody who's not there? You know, it's, it can be maddening. And like Judy Stakey, for example, who was on the podcast, you know, one of, one of her biggest proponents that she tells all of her fledgling songwriters is you must write every day and you must write as much as you can every day. Because if you're not, you're not growing that skill. You're not stretching your muscles. And if you're not co-writing and learning from other people, you're still, you're just, you're so behind the game. It's not even funny. Yeah. There was a uh, there was an author actually. Um, um, his wife was a, a friend of Dee Dee's. Was um, a guy named uh, Kim Nunn, and he was the one conversation I had with him. He said you you have to be disciplined, and he would set aside one hour a day. And if he just sat there in front of his at the time typewriter, look it up. Your grandparents will tell you. Um, <laughs> he would sit there for an hour. And if he had absolutely nothing, once that hour was up, he was done, he was gone. He was dedicated to that moment, dedicated to doing it, and dedicated to whatever came out of his fingertips onto that reel to make that happen. You, you have to do it. This is not, this isn't a, it's not a spectator sport. And it's hardcore, and it's a business, but you have to, it's weird. I, I think you all are in a, in a tough spot because you have to be your biggest champion. You have to be... Um, um, have a business some sort of business sense or surround yourself with amazing people with business sense but it's still your art it's your craft it's your baby every one of those songs when people tell you they hate your song why don't you just take my guts and stomp on them right yeah katie and i have both been there (laughs) i had um i had a producer in the studio um it was a song that i had written by myself and it Mm -hmm. meant a lot to me and it's actually to be honest it's one of my better songs um, because I wrote it in a place where I was truly feeling all of those feelings that I wrote down. What was it? Uh, tell me. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Katie's heard that song. Mm-hmm. Um, go out and download it now. Now it's right. not out yet. Okay, never mind. Links it's, will be in the show notes. It's okay. coming out. Links soon. will be in the show notes. Just <laughs> make your donation to this number here, wherever it is. <laughs> just go follow Paradox Jukebox. On Instagram. And then Aaron McClendon. And at Aaron McClendon and plug, at Katie plug, Thompson. Plug, plug, plug. Plug, 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 plug. Anyway, um, but Tell Me was a song I had written by myself, and I was really proud of it. Mm-hmm. And at the time, the producer I was working with, I had written a lot of songs on the album with them, and they just flat out, like, I, there was just, like, something that wasn't happening vocally, mm-hmm. and they stopped me. I'm trying to be vague here. Um, it's not the producer I'm working with now, but still. <laughs> They stopped me, and they just said, Aaron, it's just like, I don't know what's going on, but it's just not working. It's not working. And I, and I said, well, what do you mean? And they go, it's just bad writing. Like, wow. This wow. song is just bad writing. And then they topped it off with, and you're fat! <laughs> <laughs> Truly, though, wouldn't doubt it. Um, but I just, like, I had to sit there and cry. That's yeah. heartbreaking. Yeah. 
because it was the first time I was ever recording a full album to the level that I was. Yeah. And this producer, just who I respected, just told me I was bad. And the, no constructive criticism, no improvement. And that's just like, it's as a songwriter, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. As a person. Oh, it's no, it's devastating. Heartbreaking. Statement, which would be a form of the word producer. Not a yes. hey now, look at that. See, that's why she's here, the smart here, one, here and she's letting us sit in here with our faces on the camera. <laughs> right. I mean, really, she's just pointing over there. We'll just sit here and continue eating. Yep. Right. It's Truly, though, we love Mama Mahaffey. The um, and if you look at um, um, Garth's story, when he he finally he left Stillwater and you know threw everything that he had into a car because he had a meeting with one exec. And he drove all night long. He, you know, camped out in front of this place, slept for an hour or two, went in there, um, had the meeting with the guy, and the guy ripped him a new one, just completely tore his guts out. And then he just, he called his wife at the time and said, that's it, I'm coming home, I can't do this. And he went home. He gave up after one day. But he believed in himself. He understood, listen, I've got something to offer that's different and unique. I know it's here. I believe in myself. I believe in my product. He went back down there. And I heard he did pretty good afterward. Yeah, I mean, I think he did decent he did for himself. Okay. Yeah. Did okay. You know what? Did okay. But I think that, you know, when, when, when you know, take, you know, I, I used to keep a, um, <laughs> I used to keep a file. Every time I got rejected for something, you know, we used to, in the days um, uh, BE, uh, before email, um, <laughs> people would actually send you these rejection letters. And I would keep them. I kept them in a file. And um, uh, my, my goal was, it, it was, I, I had a label on there that said it's the FU file. Because it's like, later on, I'm going to stand there and I'm going to read it, you know, here they are, all y'all, here you go. And I had the satisfaction of actually being able to do that. I had, <clears throat> I had a program director in Phoenix. I wanted to work at this station so bad. Uh, it was one. It was probably, if not the biggest, one of the biggest country stations in in the country at KNIX in Phoenix. And a guy named Larry Daniels, and he knows this story. Um, uh, Larry Daniels, he he would interview me to do the morning show. He interviewed me five times. And we were hardcore into the negotiation. We went down there so many times. Every time he just said, I couldn't pull the trigger. I couldn't do it. And every single time he did that, I'm going to say, Larry, I'm going to make you regret this. And then in 1998, the night that we won our first CMA award, um, we were doing the acceptance thing. And I stuck it out in the air. And I said, Larry, I told you so. <laughs> Of course you did. And then he came up to me afterward. He said, loud and clear, buddy. I got the message, loud and clear. <laughs> and then he retired, and then I won two more. So. Yeah. But I love, no, but what the lesson and there. And now you host award shows. That's right. And then the, the, and, and, and the lesson there is take that rejection, take that someone shooting you down, and, and use that to, to fuel your passion. Fuel your passion. Don't let anybody squash that light on you. Don't let anyone take you down. Garth, Garth you, we were having a conversation one time. Actually, we are talking about baseball. And, um, and he said, do what you love to do. Do it with great passion, and success is inevitable. That's awesome. I think that's brilliant. That's that one of the most brilliant statements I've ever heard in my life. It didn't help the Angels pitching that year, but that's okay. Well. <laughs> Can't ask for miracles. Well. <laughs> You almost had one this year with the Bengals. I'm so sorry. 
moment of silence. You know what? I, I love Matthew Stafford. He deserved it. Matthew Stafford deserved it. Okay, 12 years he suffered in Detroit. Goes to L.A. one year, bam. See you then. Good there for him. Go. Next year, you're ours. <laughs> Next Sorry. year, it's the Titans. Sorry about your Titans. Yeah, that was disappointing. But can we say Mike Vrabel, Coach of the Year? Yeah! Suddenly this is a football podcast. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. I'm not love Mike Vrabel. Love yes. Mike Vrabel. Yes. Love the whole Titans team. And by Unless that, I mean like the Titans. people that work for them because they hired us. Yes. So. so. <laughs> by the way, this is really good cheese. It's very good cheese. Really good. Thanks, Mom, for the yeah. snacks. Yep. She called them snacky snack hour instead really of cocktail wanted. hour because we're not adults. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I want to get into one of my favorite parts about this podcast when, oh. we, when we're talking to people. And I want to get into story time. Okay. <laughs> oh, God. Because I'm ready for this. I've been ready for this. This has been what I've been waiting for the whole time. You'll be bitterly disappointed. I doubt it. <laughs> Highly doubt it. All right. You have some incredible stories. Okay. And so the one I want to hear, I, the one I want everybody else to hear, very specifically, and maybe save this for last, is the mm. Robin Williams story. Oh. Because that's one of my favorites. Yeah. But I also think it's, because you tried to be an actor for a while. Oh, yeah. No, I studied theater. I studied theater. Uh, I... I, I worship comics. I, I you know, I tried I tried stand up comedy once on a cruise ship and it was miserable. It was awful. It was awful. <laughs> Dee Dee's uh, nodding her head. No, it was awful. It was. <laughs> That's true. I did not prep at all. My preparation was having a nice suit, <laughs> <laughs> and it was champagne yellow. Oh no! And fortunately, was it the eighties. Uh, or the no, no, yeah, it was eighty. It was right after we got married, so yeah, eighty one, eighty two, yeah. Oh wow, yep, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Um, um, but I also want everybody <clears throat> to hear the uh, Robert De Niro story. Oh, which one do you want first? Oh man, uh, the workshop one. Oh, De Niro. Yeah. Okay. Um, when I was, uh, I don't know, maybe. 16, 17 years old, I found out about a place. Uh, I, I grew up in Orange County, California, and I was, I was going to be the next Robert De Niro. I worshipped Robert De Niro. I just thought that guy was amazing. And we're not kind of talking about the Robert De Niro from Rocky and Bullwinkle. We're talking about the De Niro from um, Deer Hunter and uh, Taxi Driver. I mean, the guy was the consummate performer, the greatest actor ever. And um, I found out that he was going to be lecturing at a thing called the Sherwood Oaks Experimental College uh, Actors Conference. It was long one title. week long. It was it bubbled in on a test. Um, <laughs> it was $100, the best $100 I ever spent. And it was it, they found these people that were – what I loved about them is their heart is where my heart is. They want to teach people and instruct people who are starting the journey that they've taken – <clears throat> and we had the first night was uh, Martin Sheen right after he finished Apocalypse Now. Uh, we had um, the cast of Taxi, the TV show, which was the number one comedy on uh, on, on television at the time. We had um, um, uh, Mark Rydell, who had just directed The Rose with Bette Midler. We had Sidney Pollack, who just got an Academy Award for directing uh, On Golden Pond with Henry Fonda and Catherine Hepburn. And we had uh, Dudley Moore was there, who had just uh, exploded. This was long after the days of 10. 
and every person there, Meryl Streep was there. It was it was incredible. Dustin wow. Hoffman was there yeah. the night before he won the Academy Award for Kramer versus Kramer. Wow. But the, the person I was waiting for was De Niro, De Niro, De Niro, De Niro. <clears throat> and we, um, we, we, we get to the point, it was on a Saturday morning. Uh, Dudley Moore had just wrapped up. We were at uh, a, 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 a screening studio, a screening theater on the uh, on the campus of 20th Century Fox in LA, and it was hotter than the hinges of hell. The air conditioning wasn't on in, in the building. We're all dying. Um, and then when when uh, Dudley Moore left, um, you know, we we all just kind of went outside to just get some air and something. And as I stepped out of the side exit door, I grabbed a pitcher of water, ice water, and I had a, a glass, and I'm leaning up against the wall, watching Dudley Moore get into this beautiful, beautiful, um, uh, it's like a, a huge, beautiful Bentley. This thing was just right out of 1930s Hollywood, and he gets in this beautiful car, and he drives away, and we're sitting, and we're waiting, and, and I was kind of there by myself, because I was socially idiot at that time, as I still am. <laughs> And we're just waiting. And it's like we're waiting half an hour, 45 minutes, an hour. And as we're waiting, um, this, like, Chevy Chevette pulls up. And it's obvious a rental car. And this guy gets out. And he's just this fat dude. And he's, he's sweating like crazy. And he's wearing a leather jacket, a brown leather jacket and sweatpants. And I'm going, like, God, <laughs> this guy's pathetic. And, um, and I'm leaning up against the side door, and he gets out, and he says, oh, what's going on? He goes, well, you know, we're just kind of taking a break. This is what's happening. He goes, well, Dudley Moore just left, and, you know, we're just, uh, we're just sitting here waiting. And we're shooting the breeze a little bit. And I said, man, you want some water? You want a glass of water? He goes, yeah, no. I guess I better get in there. I'm like, yeah. And then he, walk in, he walks in the door. I hear people going, Bobby, how are you? Welcome, Bobby. It's nice to see you. I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> That was Robert De Niro. I had my moment with Robert De Niro, and I blew it. <laughs> so I said, "Okay, this is gonna this is gonna do it." No, I'm gonna I'm gonna somehow I'm just gonna go crawl into a hole. I was actually gonna get in the car and leave because I knew he was just gonna sit in the theater, look at me, and go. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, he had just you know he had just finished. The last thing I had seen him in was uh, um, um, was uh, Raging Bull. And then he was shooting um, um, True Confessions with uh, 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 Charles Durning, and he was this portly old priest in this thing. So I'm like, I don't know who this guy was. So he's up there and he's talking, he's doing everything, and you know they, and it's this beautiful theater, and you know he's down there with the guy who's asking the questions. There's De Niro, there's this guy, and um, um, and I'm about halfway back, and they have two microphones on either aisle for people to ask questions. So. It gets to the point going like, you know, hey, just to let you know that uh, we're going to do our question and answer thing. Um, um, you know, we, if you have a question for, for Robert De Niro, um, uh, just start lining up. No one gets up. Nobody gets up. And I'm like, you guys got to be kidding me. You guys are all supposed to be actors. This is our profession. This is our craft. This is what we do. If it's going to be up to anyone, it's going to be up to the next Robert De Niro. I'm going to get up there and say <laughs> So I got up and I made my way down the aisle. The microphone was right there, and I got up to the microphone. I'm standing there for a minute. And there's actually a spotlight on it. I'm like, oh God Almighty! <laughs> and then I get there. I'm like, I have nothing. 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 And I finally, um, yeah, we 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 got a question over here. Just uh, 
Bob, yeah, hi, uh, Skip from uh, Huntington Beach. Just want to say um, thank you for being here on behalf of all these actors. And um, uh, Do you have a question? Yeah. Um, Raging Bull, how'd you gain all that weight? <laughs> and I stood there for a second, and it was one of those things where time stood still. And, oh, I, and, I, and I'm standing there looking at him, and I said, that was the stupidest thing anyone has ever said. He just... <laughs> I ate a lot. <laughs> oh my God. And I wanted to die. I just wanted to die. But then the cool part about it is he went on to say, if you're an actor and you take on a role, you do everything you possibly can to make that role authentic. He talked about when he did Taxi Driver and he drove a New York taxi for six months every night. Uh, he talked about when he did uh, uh, The Godfather, and he learned to speak perfect Sicilian Italian for the role. And then when he was in uh, New York, New York, he learned to play the saxophone. And he said, it, it's, it's, you, you do whatever it takes to make the role authentic. And then I'm just walking back to my seat. People are high-fiving me. I'm like, great question, great question, dude, great question, great question. And I sat down basically in my own dirty pants and just said, like, I am... <laughs> I am going home. I am never going to do this again. Never going to do it again. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. I feel like we've all been there, though, when we meet somebody that we, like, idolize and we say something stupid. Oh, Lord. No matter, like. Oh, oh, oh. Okay, so we were at, <laughs> we were at, uh, we were at High Corbett Field in Tucson. That was a triple-A for uh, the New York Yankees. And one the one season that Derek Jeter played for the Columbus Clippers. Oh, no. During the season, he used to come in to our, do our show all the time. Oh, so what was really cool is well another story we were sitting in my we were sitting in a restaurant in in Florida with uh, my father-in-law and um um and you know he starts asking me he says, so I understand the uh, the uh, the Yankees um you know they they train here I went yeah as a matter of fact there's Derek Jeter and Derek just happened to be sitting there and when I pointed he looked up and then while we're eating dinner <laughs> Dee Dee got up to go to the little girl's room and Derek walked over he goes hey Skip how you doing oh wow and uh, I said, I wanted to make my father-in-law's Fred. <coughs> Fred, Mr. Jeter. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but if we were um, we were at this uh, game at High Corbett. What? That's true. He does. Yeah, from that point on, he said that he he ate with Derek Jeter. We were at High Corbett Field, and we heard that Mr. Steinbrenner was in the house, and so we were just like, he's here, he's here, he's here. Oh my god. And we just couldn't see him. The whole game we're waiting for, for him. For those of you who don't know the sports ball, George Steinbrenner owns the Yankees. Oh, yeah. He was an absolute legend. Um, <laughs> watch, watch Seinfeld if you want to know about Steinbrenner. Yeah. But uh, um, we hadn't seen him all game long. And me and, and uh, Cephas, our, our, our sports guy, we decided we're leaving. We're just like ninth inning. Clippers are winning. We're out of there. And we go into the men's room, and there are you know, three urinals, and we – you know, no guys stand next to each other if they can avoid it. So Mikey's over here and I'm over Learning here. Learning all sorts of things today. <laughs> We're doing what guys do in the men's room. And then the door opens and Steinbrenner walks in and steps in between us. We're like. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, the first thing is don't look, don't look, don't look. But we're, and we're sitting there and, and for a minute. And then finally, Mikey goes. I'm sorry, man. I got to say it, Mr. Steinbrenner. It's such a pleasure to meet. We're big fans. And the thing that Steinbrenner said so perfect. He just waited a beat and said. Sorry if I can't shake your hand right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just like, 
Good enough. We're out of here. No. But, but there, and there was, well, there's another Steinbrenner story that takes way too much time. But um, Robin, Robin Williams was, when I was 17 years old, through a, um, I, 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 I worship and I love comics. And truth be told, if I could have chucked it all to get a successful stand-up career, I would have loved to have done that. Yeah. Because great comics are just absolutely brilliant, and they, they just think on a level that I wish I, I could even begin to. But um, through some weird happenstance, I met this lady who worked at ABC. And I happened to be at Century City, and I walked into the offices of ABC and just said, I just want to let you know that I'm going to have a TV show here one day, and I just want you to get comfortable with it. And she was very <laughs> funny and just entertained this stupid kid. And, sure. um, and I got a message from her one time saying, we want you to come down to um, um, the improv, which was the old Ciro's on, on, Sunset, on the Sunset Strip. She said, we got this comic. We just signed him to a new deal. Uh, he has a show in development. He's great. He reminds me of you. Come see the show. Oh. So I borrowed my brother's car, and I, I drove down there, and I went in, and it was there were maybe 20 people in the room and it was it was robin williams because robin had just been signed to do uh mork and mindy mm-hmm. look it up in your history books <laughs> um but Nanu, Nanu. and yeah. he was in he he had two sets that he was doing and we, we we were sitting in the back of the room and he did his set and of course it was just manic and it was amazing and it was the most incredible thing i'd ever seen and um, when he finished, um, he came in and he sat down at the table with us. And it was you know, me and this un- unbelievable future genius at what he does, that is one and the only, and who is just now being recognized. And all we did was talk about comedy. We had great respect for, for people like Jonathan Winters and people like uh, Groucho Marx. And we just talked about the, the science of comedy. Awesome. And then every time one of us would make a comment, the other would go, ah, oh, brilliant. <laughs> and, and, and then, you know, him is, oh, brilliant. But, um, and, uh, um, um, you know, we, we, we sat there while he ate his dinner, and, and it was about an hour, hour and a half, and then he was getting back up to go, um, to go do a second set, and I was getting ready to leave, and he goes, well, any, any words of advice? And I said, yeah, be brilliant and try not to F it up. Oh, huh, brilliant. <laughs> and and that was that was it was it was an unbelievable experience. But the cool part about that was, is um, shortly before he died, he did a tour with David Steinberg, where it was basically an an, an evening uh, with Robin Williams. Look up David Steinberg. He wrote Minnie's Boys, unbelievably great comic. Um, he the greatest story about him is doing his research for Minnie's Boys. He had lunch every day with Groucho Marx for a year and a half. Wow. And you talk about just the plethora of information that that guy had. I, I, I was at, at the theater that I went to go see this at. I was doing stage announcements. I was going, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Robin Williams, David Steinberg. And um, <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was backstage, and I was getting ready to walk on there, and, and they came in and stood beside me. And uh, I just said, gentlemen, thank you so much for letting me do this. And it, it, was, it was such a, a, a beautiful in surreal moment because he looks at me and goes, I know you. He goes, I know we've, we've met somewhere before. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, and I said, uh, I said, yeah, when I was 17, we had dinner at the improv. And he goes, oh, 
brilliant. And I said, yeah. <laughs> so that was, that, was a, that was a big full circle moment for me. And then, of course, yeah. That's amazing. What a tragedy. I, I, yeah. But, yeah. We watched Mrs. Doubtfire the other day. Oh, and I was just still. Like, oh, still iconic. Yeah. Still iconic. Still brilliant. Still brilliant. Yeah. Was that the story you're talking about? Another one. Yes, it was. Okay. Because you sign all of your emails. Be brilliant. Be brilliant. <laughs> yes. And I didn't realize you learned that from Robin Williams. Like, that came from that story until, like, a few years ago. When he died. Yeah. And it just, like. No, I never shared that story. Yeah. And it was, it was what I loved about it is, is because he, he had this ability to put me in a comfort level to where, I mean, truth be told, I was the one that said it first. Um, <laughs> but it just, it just, Sorry. It was, and it was like, you know, oh, oh, and then you're such and such. Oh, brilliant. And then I thought it was funny when, when Guinness started that whole advertising campaign with the two animated characters. Brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. I'm suing somebody. <laughs> <laughs> what is, if, 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 you know, if, if you are an artist, if you are someone who is trying to do this, don't let anybody extinguish your fire. Don't let anybody tell you you, you can't do that. I, we were talking about this the other day, and I said the two things that inspired me the most is when someone said um, no or you can't do that. Mm-hmm. Because just like, watch me. Yep. Just go out and be brilliant and try not to F it up. I think that's a perfect note to end on. I agree. Thank you so much for letting us take over your house and feeding us and giving us wine and letting us interview you. No, no problem. Skip slash dad. <laughs> Just to clarify, Skip and Didi are not my actual parents. No. <laughs> no, but we're very proud of her. Aw, thanks. Extremely. Thanks, dad. Yeah. Thanks, Katie, for letting and me you're drive good, this Katie. You're home. rocking it. You're oh. killing it. I'm just over here listening and having a good time and drinking. Thank Yay! You. Yay. <laughs> we're, we're about to be empty, so this is going to end real fast. Real quick. Whee! Roll the credits, Lois. <laughs> All right. And with that, everybody, this has been Paradox Jukebox. That's Katie Thompson. I'm Erin McClendon. That's Skip Mahaffey. From everybody here at Paradox Jukebox, bye-bye. Oh, my God. So, truthfully for me, I think the best part of this interview was actually what came after we stopped rolling, and I just got to sit there at Skip and Dee's kitchen, drink a little bit more beer, and just talk some shop with Skip and pick his brain about radio and podcasting and and all of the things. So Skip, thank you so much for everything. Didi, thank you for opening your home to us. And just thank you both so much for entertaining two kids who are trying to make it in the industry. So we appreciate you. Thank you everyone for listening. This has been Paradox Jukebox. We'll see you next time.